Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing on our Lenten sermon series, and for those of you that may not have been here last week, the series is entitled, The People of the Passion. And last week we talked about the apostles, and if you missed it, I encourage you either to go to our website or pick up a CD. But we talked about the apostles and their life and their experience all around the Passion and walking with Jesus. And this Sunday we're going to take a little different focus We're going to focus on Herod and Pilate. A little different perspective. Now, when you hear the names Herod and Pilate, what do you think of? Probably, at least, not nice men. It's possible. You know, I remember a long time ago hearing someone say, you know, how many people name their children Adolf? And actually, in the course of my life, I have met some people named Adolf. I've never met anyone named Herod or Pilate. I don't know about you. But they have such a reputation. They are connected with and responsible for, at least in part, the death of Jesus. And so that's what association people have for Herod and for Pilate. And in fact, they do, in some ways, are responsible. They have a responsibility with the death of Jesus, but it's only part way. It's not completely. And I think sometimes, also, when it comes to the scriptures, and when it comes to figures like this, we not only look at the scriptures, we look at history. And if you look at history with these two figures, they have a reputation from history. And you can glean it from the scriptures. But you get a similar picture from studying history. And history can teach us. I don't know how many of you believe that. But if you study history, it can teach us lessons. It can teach us about life. It can teach us about people groups. It can teach us about countries. And applying those principles to our life, to our country. And we don't always do it, and we don't always do it effectively. And it's interesting because in my life, I've been fascinated at times with history. When I first started college, I started in chemical engineering. Didn't take much history during that phase of my life. But halfway through college, I changed my major to a double major in religious studies and philosophy as I was being drawn and called to the ministry. And so I started taking history courses. And in particular, I took four courses in the last two years on the Reformation. Now, this was not at a Christian institution. It was the University of Pittsburgh. And two of those four classes were specifically on the English Reformation. And it was with a guy by the name of Dr. Wilmer, Professor Wilmer. And those classes were one-on-one classes. It was just me. You couldn't fall asleep in class at that point. 
But it was great. And I mean, I really did immerse myself at that time and began to see the principles flowing through the church and different denominations. And then, for several years, I worked in the real world, as people like to say. And then I went to seminary and I took more courses in church history. More about the Reformation, more about the English, more about American church history as well as church history in general down through the centuries. And we can learn lessons from that history. And in fact, when you go to do personal Bible study and you really want to understand the the Bible and grasp it for your life and grasp the lessons, it's helpful to sometimes connect the dots with history, to read about the scriptures and read about the background so you can pull it together, so you have some kind of understanding and you have a little depth. And if you study in history the trials of Jesus... He actually went through several trials. The high priest, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, Pilate. You can can begin to get a picture of what was going on at the time historically and also in the life of Jesus. And why were people trying to kill him? And what was the misunderstanding? And why did the state, that is Herod and Pilate, treat Jesus the way they did? So you can learn about all this stuff. Now, that might not be fascinating to you. But it's helpful. To grow in that knowledge and to grow in depth. And sometimes what happens over time is instead of really studying history and learning the lessons of history, history's changed. People revise it. And you can miss the lesson. I mean, it's been interesting to watch how I've read different authors who have actually kind of shifted some of the biblical history and understanding because they want to emphasize their own points. And people have done it in our history too. Take, for example, the notion of the separation of church and state. Many people in our country would say, well, that goes back to the founding father days and the declaration. You know, it really doesn't. I don't know if you know that. Because really what was going on at that time is the The laws of the state were basically saying there's not going to be any one denomination that dominates the whole country, like the Church of England over in England. But also there's a separation so that the state does not infringe on the church and the church is free to practice and free to speak. And during that time, they even studied the Bible in secular schools and the Continental Congress, in fact, would have days of fasting and prayer. So I don't think really, if people want to go back to that time, there was much of a separation of church and state, okay? That happened in the 1940s. And people have misunderstood it and spun it ever since then. That's how history can change in the understanding of who we are and what we stand for in the church, in our country, can change. Let me give you another one. Nathan alluded to this as he was uh, beginning the service. St. Patrick's Day. You know, I really think that St. Patrick doesn't care much about green beer. Honest, I really don't. You know, and it's interesting because how much the emphasis of St. Patrick's life and faith and what he stood for has changed through the centuries. That now it's about a big party and green rivers And green beer, which probably during that time they probably would have turned their nose up at, by the way. 
and how it's just one big excuse. Here's another one for you. Shrove Tuesday or Fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras? I don't think it conveys the same idea. You know, that we're getting ready for Lent so that we need to get fat and eat pancakes and bacon because we're going to be fasting and praying during the season of Lent. I really don't think that the people that go to Mardi Gras have that in mind. And it's a different kind of appetite they're feeding. You see what I'm saying? How down through history, we can spin history and change history and not understand history and then misapply and misuse. And that's why it's important to understand, even when you heard this morning the name Herod, you know who we're talking about. Because actually from the birth of Jesus to Acts chapter 12, which is the first reading you have before you, there are three Herods. Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, and Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa is the one that's talked about in Acts chapter 12, not the same Herod that's talked about at the trial of Jesus. Don't know if you knew that. And there are other Herod family members woven throughout Scripture. You've got Philip. And Herod stole his brother Philip's wife. Her name was Herodias. She was a niece on top of that. So there's another couple of Herods for you, Philip and Herodias. And then you've got, toward the end of Acts, the book of Acts, you've got Agrippa. Not to be confused with Herod Agrippa, because Herod Agrippa died in Acts chapter 12. Agrippa is a different Herod. He's the one that Paul stood before, that Paul tried to convert. See, Herod was a family, and it was a kingly dynasty, and there was so much of a mess with the Herod family. One other thing you may not know. Herod's family were Hasmian Jews. They were Jewish by background. They weren't secular. Sort of. We'll get to that. The first Herod, Herod the Great, that was around when Jesus was born, was paranoid, and he was absolutely ruthless. He so wanted to guard his position and his power that he had family members killed at one point when he thought they were plotting to get him off the throne so that they could take over. So he had them killed. Then, of course, when he heard about Jesus, he had the innocents killed in Bethlehem. The reason he was called Herod the Great, at least in that part of the country, was because he was a great builder and in particular... The Jewish temple at that time, which took on an enormous expansion, was Herod's doing. Because he was Jewish, he thought that would play well for God and for everybody else in his kingdom. He also built all kinds of palaces for himself because he was paranoid. He'd go from this palace to this palace to this palace so people wouldn't catch him. But on top of that, he also built pagan temples because he wanted to be popular with every other faith. And just in case his God wasn't right, he wanted to cover himself. We don't know what Herod the Great believed. And what he passed on to his son, Herod Antipas. 
But what I can tell you about Herod Antipas, the Herod in the Gospel reading for today, the Herod that saw Jesus before him on trial, he too was a great builder. He picked that up from his father. He built the city of Tiberias to honor the emperor that put him and kept him in power. And in fact, the Sea of Galilee would be known as, at least in the Roman areas, the Sea of Tiberias because of Herod's influence. Herod was pompous. But Herod had an interesting side. Herod was fascinated by John the Baptist. And if you remember that John the Baptist, all he preached about was sin and repentance. So there was something, something in him until he took the next step of corruption. Because of Herodias wanting John the Baptist killed, Herod consented to having him killed. And it seems by the time Jesus came along, Herod didn't take faith seriously very much. Because when Jesus came into his presence, how did Herod handle Jesus? He made light of him. You know, I don't know how many of you remember the song, uh, the, the play Jesus Christ Superstar. Remember the Herod lines in that? If you're the Christ, the great Jesus Christ, prove to me that you're no fool, walk across my swimming pool. Prove to me that you're divine, change my water into wine. You remember that? He was looking for Jesus to wow him. Court jester, magical tricks, whatever. He wasn't looking for a savior. He wasn't looking for a Lord. And he went so, so far when Jesus didn't perform for him to hold Jesus in contempt. Mocked him. Sent him back to Pilate. That's Herod. Now Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12, he seemed to be a mix. He had his good points and his bad points, and at this point, he sought to be conciliatory with Tyre and Sidon. See, but then they elevated him. They said he's like a god. In other words, he's like Caesar, because Caesar was a god. Or maybe he's like the Jewish god, and he was full of pride. See, the family traits of the Herod family Pride, corruption, self-serving, taking God lightly was their problem. And it was pervasive. Now while you're thinking about that, we're going to move to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, he was not a king, he was a governor called a procurator. And he was governor over that area where Herod, part of his kingdom. And Pilate also had his ruthless side. At one point, he had a lot of Jews killed and was called to Rome and basically warned. And he ended up being governor for only 10 years, from 26 to 36 A.D., Part of the reason was that ruthless side would eventually get the best of him and he would have some Samaritans slaughtered as well. 
But in the in-between period, between the Jews being slaughtered and the Samaritans being slaughtered, and him running this ruthless kingdom, he seemed to go back and forth a little bit. And even if you study the story of Pilate's experience with Jesus, you'll see that back and forth. His wife tells him in another gospel, be careful with this man, I had a dream about him. And I'm much troubled by my dream. And so he listens to his wife, he doesn't really want to get all messy with all this. And then Pilate challenges him on the one hand. But on the other hand, seems to want to protect him. He wants to please the Jews, and so he hands him over. And yet at the same time, he infuriates them when he puts the sign above Jesus' head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He doesn't seem to know quite who he is. And there's an ambivalence. He has power and position. He has authority. He's in favor with Herod. Seems to be in favor with Rome right now, but yet he's insecure. And he's not quite sure what to make about this Jesus. So he doesn't take responsibility. What does he do? He washes his hand. What does he do? He says... His blood be on you and your children, to the Jews. And I think the reason is, is because he wasn't secure in the truth. Because he has the truth standing before him in the person of Jesus Christ, as Jesus tries to tell him who he is, and about his kingdom. And Pilate looks at him in John 18 and says, what is truth. What is truth? See, and that's also a problem in a lot of our culture, even in the church. What is truth? Do you really believe Jesus, who he is, what he said, his life, his death, his resurrection? Do you really believe the Bible to be the word of God? See, because sometimes we end up, what is truth? Just like Pilate. See, these men had position. They had power. They had privilege. But they also had a responsibility. Every person in here has a position in life where you're part of whatever situation you're in. Maybe you're a child. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're an employer. Maybe you're an employee. Maybe you're a volunteer. You have a station in life. You have influence. You have friends. Maybe you have co-workers. You have privilege. The mere fact that you live here or you're able to vacation here, you have privilege. And you have power. And what kind of power are you going to exercise and where are you going to exercise it? You know, sometimes people, they say they feel powerless in our culture. And my guess is sometimes people do go through struggles and feelings. Herod at times was paranoid. Guess what that means? He felt powerless. He didn't feel in control. And he was a king. 
So everybody goes kind of through that. You know, even kids, young teenagers, when they're beginning to go through all the changes and they're questioning life and everything, who do the marketers spend most of their money marketing to? Young teenagers. You don't think they have power in people's homes? They do. But we also have responsibility. See, and that's part of the problem with Herod as well as Pilate. They did not take responsibility for anything having to do with their faith. Pilate, he wasn't Jewish, he was pagan. He didn't know what he believed, but he didn't pursue either. Herod, he was Jewish by background, expanded the temple, but he kind of played around with other faiths and he lived his own life. We all have responsibility. And the question is, what are you doing with it? See, no matter what position or what privilege or what power you have, you can be corrupted. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter your station in life. It doesn't matter whether you're a parent or child. You can be tempted and you can be corrupted and you can have your life twisted and you can shirk your responsibility or you can grab it. See, the reality is, if you take a step back, and everything we've talked about, I wanted you to at least grasp two things. From the life of Herod, don't take Jesus lightly. See, we can do that. If Jesus doesn't serve my needs at the moment... If my faith isn't convenient at the moment, if I'm not entertained, if it doesn't serve my purpose, if it doesn't serve my position and my privilege and my opportunity to have what I want, I don't need him. Because that's how we can take our faith. We take it lightly. We take the person and the sacrifice of Jesus lightly. Or we can be like Herod. Or I'm sorry, Pilate. Pilate is the one who questioned truth. Do you really believe the truth? Do you really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you really believe that the word of God is truth? Jesus affirmed it as truth. And if so, what difference has that truth made in your life? Because the truth stands before you as much as it stood before Pilate. In the person of Jesus Christ. And what are you doing with that truth? Are you letting it go? Are you letting him go? Like Pilate did. To allow that truth to be crucified in your life. See, as much as Jesus went to the cross for us, He also went to the cross for Pilate and Herod. They were partly responsible for him being there. But guess what? So are we. Because of our sin, he had to go to the cross. 
we're partly responsible for him being there. And after he died, and after he rose, that apparently made little to no difference in the life of Herod and the life of Pilate. And the question is, has it made a difference in your life? See, Herod and Pilate stood before Jesus as judge. And Jesus stands before us right now. And the question is, are you judging him? Just like Herod and Pilate, are you judging him? That he's really not worthy enough for you to take him seriously, for his death and resurrection and the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection in your life. We have to make that judgment every day. We have to decide on the truth of Jesus and his life and his word for our lives every day. Do we go before the truth every day and allow that truth to penetrate our hearts and our lives every day before his word, before his person in prayer? Every day. Pilate and Herod judged Jesus as not worth it. And they expected him to bow to their power instead of the reverse. Instead of saying to Jesus, you are Lord. You have the power. And I want to give my life to you. They didn't face the truth. They shirked responsibility and they took Jesus lightly. He stands before you now. And in a sense, you're judging. You're judging whether you will take him seriously, whether you will believe that he is the truth and he is your life. He went to the cross so that you might believe for your sin. And he rose again to show you you, that he has the power over sin and death. How do you respond? Please bow with me in prayer. Father God, we are so bombarded by the relative truth, the half-truth, and the falsehoods that masquerade as truth in our culture. And we allow those to dominate our lives, our time, our energy, our resources. The call, the draw, the temptation that they are for our lives. 
Lord, we want to be popular. We want to be pleased and served. And so sometimes we take our faith in our Lord lightly. Lord, I pray right now that as much as Herod and Pilate had your son Jesus before them, so we would see him before us now. Wanting us to recognize him as Savior and Lord. Willing to go to the cross out of love and rose again to reveal his power, your power, to change us. Lord, sometimes we take truth lightly. Sometimes history is lost on us. And sometimes we ignore the love offered to us by our family, by our friends, and even by our Lord. Lord, I pray right now that you would open the eyes of our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit to help us to see who you are and to take this faith we call Christian seriously because we take our Lord Jesus Christ seriously. And we acknowledge him as our truth and we rest in his love this day and every day. And we pray this in his precious name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.